Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Books Are Chic. I am so excited to have back one of my tried and true favorites. Like, I have followed her from the beginning. I love everything she does. And this book that we're here to talk about today, The Spectacular, I am saying two things. One, I'm saying it's her best yet, which if you are a fan and you will be after this episode, that is a very strong statement to say because they are all so good. And I'm also saying that this is 100% one of my favorite books of 2023. So I am so excited to welcome back Fiona Davis. Hi, Fiona. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It is so nice to, to talk with you again. I can't tell you. I know. I, well, like I said to you, I'm as long as you're writing books, whatever I'm doing, I'm talking to you or I'm interviewing you or I'm doing something because I am a huge fan and I feel like there are like authors I do, you know, you learn, you improve, you like perfect your craft, but like every, like last, when we talked about the Magnolia Palace, I'm like, yep, this is, she is like at the top of her game. And then this comes out. And I was like, she just did it again, even better. And that's a lot. <laughs> Thank you. I love I love that you called it earlier a, a glamorous thriller. That to me, yes. that, I love that because that's what I was going for. I was trying to do something a little different. Well, I feel like you always, or me, like the last few books, and I think we said this for Magnolia, like there's always this little like thin thread of like mystery in your books and that which I love because I feel like it's sort of like this unexpected thing that you find and then you're just like ferociously reading. But then this really felt like a thriller, but you have so many glamorous elements. And what I love is like your dual timelines. You add like this little bit of contemporary spin and it's like everything you'd want and more. And I feel like people, we have to shout that from the rooftops because you have an historical element. So people might be like, oh, I don't really read his, but you are incorporating all of it. <laughs> yeah. You know, I thought, you know, what if there's a little bit of romance, a little bit of thriller, and of course the mystery, and then just with the the kind of the structure of it is historical fiction. But I, I, I agree. It's more than that. It's, it's a yeah. bigger than that. Yeah. No. And the romance piece, like, how could I even forget? the romance piece. So let's say from the last time you were here, which we touched upon um, when you came for Magnolia Palace, but you have been a GMA pick, which is incredible. You are a New York Times bestselling author. So give us like the scoop of what from like what has been going on since Magnolia Palace to when the spectacular is going to come out. Yeah, sure. Oh, it's it's just been great. It's really been wonderful. I just um, recently found out that the spectacular is a book of the month add-on pick, yes, which is really, really wonderful. And the, the team at book of the month are just great. And it's just so wonderful to be part of that family. Um, but yeah, so what happened after Magnolia Palace came out, I was just kind of looking around for other book ideas and, and, you know, I set them at a place. So I have to find that place first and nothing was really striking. And I got this email through my website, my author website of a woman who said, I'm in my eighties, I'm a former Rockette. And if you want to talk about Radio City Music Hall, give me a call. And I thought, oh yeah, sure. Because, you know, people in their seventies and eighties, they just have a perspective on life that I find really fascinating because they, you know, they see what matters and what doesn't. 
Um, and so she was able to talk about her life as a 19 year old in New York City dancing as a rocket in a way that was so vivid and brought it completely to life. And that's when I thought, okay, I have to do this, even though I don't dance and I have no dance experience. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then she, okay, so she, first of all, that's incredible because that is so like, it's like random in a sense that she just went through your website and you are, that is true. And I didn't mention that before, like you, your books center around something, you know, major in New York city, which is so incredible. And I also think that is such a great thing for the city of New York that you're bringing, not that it's awareness necessarily, but that you're showcasing something that maybe somebody doesn't know about, and then they can go and sort of read about it or even go and visit, which is really really cool. Um, but so she emails you and then you chat and like, I just feel like you always have the best, like in, that's why it feels so when you're reading, you're just so immersed. Cause you, you nail this and you, you talk to people and you go to these places and it just makes it like this thick layer of, you know, reality in this, in this fictional story, which is incredible. Yeah, I love that. That's exactly the way you describe it is is right. You know, I talked to about a dozen dancers. Most were rock hats. Some danced there in the 40s, the 50s, and then more recently. And so by doing that, you get this really great idea of the sisterhood that the Rockets have and, and just how close they are and how all of them look back with just such pride at their time dancing on the stage. And then you learn all the funny things, like there was one conductor in the 50s who used to speed up on the last show of the night so that he could catch his train home. And so these, these poor dancers were kicking as fast as they possibly could to try and match the music. And it was really cool to learn, you know, Radio City right now is a big concert hall, really. But yeah. back then, back then it was a movie palace. And so they showed four movies a day. And in between those movies were was a stage show where they had a ballet company, a choral ensemble and the Rockettes that performed. So when you got a ticket to the movie, you got a ticket to the show. And so they were there dancing four shows a day for three or four weeks straight, and then they'd get a week off. And so it was really intense. And it meant that Radio City itself, I learned, was almost like a city, a community where they had a nurse on staff. They had a dormitory. They had shuffleball courts up on the roof where apparently the the workers in the skyscrapers would love it when the the guys would love it when the the dancers would come up and play shuffleball, and um, it was just this really incredible thing to learn how how enormous that building is and how many secret places there are and rehearsal halls and dressing rooms and just so many great locations for scenes that the book really wrote itself in many ways. Yeah, it is. I've been there once, and it's just like you said, it's just stood the test of time and is so historic. And the Rockettes are like this own entity that like, if you get the chance to go, you absolutely should. And that's what I saw. But like, it is magical. And it like, I'm sure like you said, holds so many memories and to be able to talk to so many generations of dancers and probably to hear and sort of compile with all of your research, how it's changed and what it's like. And like you said, the sisterhood, which it's almost like a sorority type thing. Like once you're in, you're like a lifer and like, you know. Oh yeah, you bet. And, and 
you know, in the fifties, it was different for women because they were expected to be teachers or nurses or a wife. And so these women were making their own money, living independently in New York city. I remember one talked about how her favorite memory was walking down the middle of fifth Avenue in the middle of the night, hand in hand with her, her, her fellow dancers singing at the top of their lungs. And, you know, that joy of, of being in charge of your own life and making your own money, it must've been really incredible. And so that's why I said it in the fifties, because I thought that dynamic could be really interesting to explore. Yeah. And you also, well, I'll have you tell everyone what the book's about and then we can get into it. But one of those, like you just mentioned, one of the touch points that you have is that Marion is, you know, this is not what her dad thought was going to be what she would do and totally frowned upon. And like, I think what made me, and we can talk more about this, but what made me love her so much is that she was like, no, I'm doing this. And I feel like even though that was set in the fifties, we still do things and are taking chances as women. And, you know, obviously it's different nowadays, but you still have this feeling like I'm going to do it. Like I, you know, that we can do these things and, you know, you have to follow your passion and, and all of that stuff. So I loved that, you know, you could pull that from there and feel what she experienced in the fifties, but also sort of take it to today and say, you know, women still, we have to really justify and validate what, why, and what we're doing and, you know, that type. Oh of yeah. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. For sure. And, you know, a lot of these women eventually married and had kids. And, and so I think when they look back, it's like, that was, that was a really fun period in their life. Yeah. I can only imagine. Okay. Give us the, um, Okay, so you sort of told us how this idea got rolling from this email, which I love. Um, but tell us, give everybody sort of the elevator pitch about the what the book is about, because there's a whole other element to this book that I'm curious to how you sort of intertwined that with the with the Rockettes piece. Yeah, yeah. So the book is basically about this character, Marion, who in 1956, she lives just north of the city and she she wants to be a dancer. And it goes against her father's wishes, but she auditions for the Rockettes and gets in. And then another part of the book is the hunt for the Big Apple bomber. And that's this bomber that's based on a real one who has been setting pipe bombs all around New York in iconic New York City buildings, including Radio City Music Hall. And so for very personal reasons, she gets caught up in the hunt for him and she teams up with this very introverted but brilliant psychiatrist in training named Peter. And they're very different in the two. They're they're absolutely mismatched, but they're teamed up to try and find out who this this guy is and try and track him down. And so I like to say it's a mix of glamour, romance, thriller, and mystery, and but set in this historical backdrop. Yep, per that's all of it. That's why I was completely sucked in, and I was like, every single thing I love is in this book. <laughs> Um, okay. So tell me how you decided to, because like I said, I always think you have this little bit of a, of a mystery in all your stories, but this really felt like they were like on the hunt for this bomber. There was like intense scenes. You have this character of Peter, who I loved, um, who was this like the early, and I know you wrote something in the back, but it was like the profiling, which you sort, which was new and it was a new thing for, you know, police and the crime units and FBI. But um, how did you come across this story? Because I actually didn't know anything about this. Most people don't. 
I have, I've met maybe one or two people who say that they remember the mad bomber because that's what he was called. Um, and so what happened was in the 1950s, you know, I knew I wanted to set the book then. And I always look for some kind of hook that really anchors the story in the time period. So with the Lions of Fifth Avenue, it might be the Heterodoxy Club. With the Chelsea girls, it was the McCarthy era. And so here I was looking around and I learned that this guy who they call the Mad Bomber, in 1956, the police really stepped up the hunt for him because for 16 years, he'd been setting these bombs off at the New York Public Library, Grand Central, Penn Station. And he'd he'd set off 33 bombs and injured 15 people, some seriously. And no one had heard of him, which was so mm -hmm. shocking. And then I learned that he was caught finally by using criminal profiling for the very first time, where the police went to this psychiatrist named James Brussel, and they brought him the letters that the Mad Bomber had sent over the years. And he studied them, and he came up with a really specific profile. He said... He'll be in his 40s or 50s, very methodical, clean shaven, living with an older female relative from Eastern Europe, Roman Catholic. Um, he said, when you find him, he'll be wearing a double-breasted suit and it will be buttoned. And not, I'm not going to give anything away, but needless to say, the science of criminal profiling was born. Um, and, and suddenly, you know, they had this whole new tool in terms of trying to find these people who were you know, threatening people or terrorizing New York. And in my book, I call it the Big Apple Bomber. And I changed some details just to make it fit a little better with the story. But I had to include it. I just thought, and I haven't written a thriller before, but I thought this could be really fun. Like a chase scene through Radio City. Yes. How cool would that be? So, well, <laughs> so yes. I decided to go for it. And I'm not going to give anything away either, but like all the scenes in Radio City with him, especially this one major scene, was I felt like I was watching, oh my gosh, I, I'm blanking on the movie. Um, it's about, um, I think it's about bombers from the 90s. Yeah. It was reminding me of this movie, whatever. I can't think of it. It had Tommy Lee Jones in it. I can't think of what the movie is. <laughs> um, but I could like see it playing out in my mind. And yeah, like there was this total mystery element to it. And it was so much more elevated, um, which I, like I said, I loved. Um, but going back to what you were saying before, and I just have a question about this, and you said you were sort of looking around, looking for something to anchor the story in this time period. What, like this, how do you even start with that? Like, you're like, okay, you already know you're going to do the Rockettes beats, but then like, do you just sit down and you're like, 1950 like how does that even come to fruition because you're like and I was just looking around and <laughs> no it's actually it was easier than you think sometimes I'll go on the New York Times machine it's called it's the newyorktimes.com the times machine and um and that has all the back issues from any year from like 1860 on so you can kind of go through those and see the headlines but for this honestly I just googled what happened in 1956 and then, or in the 1950s. And then I mm -hmm. think in 57, there was a thing that said the police caught the mad bomber. And I was like, what, or what happened in, in 1950s in New York city? And something will pop up with a list by year of things that happened like, oh, the Yankees won the world series or that kind of thing. And I saw that mad bomber thing and I was like, what? And then I found a book on it um, that was really helpful and, and gave all that great detail about the criminal profiling and and was very helpful in terms of writing the story. Yeah. So just well, following those steps. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're a pro, you're a pro. You could do that. You're a pro. But I, um, the other thing I was going to mention, just talking about that was it was so, I loved 
the character of Peter and that he was taking on sort of he inspired by James Russell. So James Russell. Yeah. Um yeah. Because it just shows you just with everything that we live with today and like true crimes having this moment, there's so many documentaries and podcasts and people getting arrested for crimes that were like decades ago and to see and read and and now I'm going to go on a, a Google uh, deep dive, but to see that and you put a note in the back of the book, how that started is incredible. And you just explaining how they caught him. Like, I'm like, that is so incredible. And we don't think of that now. Like we just are like, well, there's so much stuff out there. Like, how could you not be fine? But back then. Yeah. Yeah. The police, some of the police just thought it was ridiculous. They thought this was just the stupidest thing. Well, and he gets brushed off, you know, in the book kind of. And you think like, well, he has a point and, you know, and yeah, I just like, but you just saying that, because I didn't really look into that about how he, figured that out I'm like there are just special people in this world that can do that work and how like incredible that it started just with sort of you know the pinpoint started with that yeah yeah oh it's great and there's that that series headhunter Mm -hmm. which is really good that that was I think they had a couple seasons on that was about early criminal profiling and that's that's a fun one to watch too okay that's good to know because I I was totally into it I was like and again, I just love the character of Peter and the Peter Marion dynamic. Um, I was just going to say something else. Um, <laughs> I lost, I'm like, there's so many things going off my head. I'm like, yeah. I can't forget these <laughs> questions. Um, but I, who was, okay. So then you have Marion who, like I said, she was just this force in the book and she's like paving the way for herself, going out of sort of what her dad thought and she's had like some past trauma um and her and her sisters in the book and she has these other rocket friends and so who did you base Marion off of anybody was it the woman who emailed you like what who was Marion inspired by because now we sort of know who Peter was inspired by yeah so Marion was inspired by um a woman named Vera Ellen and she was, she became a very famous movie star, but she got her start as a rockette. And when she danced, she could never quite conform. And, you know, with the rockets, it's a precision dance troupe. Yeah. You have to be, you know, if he says he wants your legs, your kick to be shoulder height, it has to be shoulder height, but she would do it eye height. Or if he wanted her arms here, they'd be, you know, even more so. And, and that's Russell Marker, who was the director and choreographer and founder of the rockets way back in the twenties. And so he was like their father figure. And so Vera Ellen just never could quite fit in. And finally she quit before she was fired. And I just thought that, and then she went on to this amazing film career and White Christmas and all these great movies. But it really made me um, fascinated with that because here you have this precision dance troupe. And, and I think the theme of the book is really, you know, when do you suppress your own individuality or your own creativity for the greater good? of either a community or a dance troupe or a corporation. And when do you do that in order to, you know, work together and and create something, but then when do you use your own voice and, and, and call things out or, you know, when do you toe the line and when do you step out? And, and so I thought that would be an interesting thing to explore through the character of Marion, because she really has a hard time as a rockette. It doesn't come easy because she's just bigger than life. And I talked to you, I remember talking to a ballet dancer who talked, she was very tall 
And she talked about how when she was in the corps de ballet and you did an arabesque, her kick, she'd have to pull it back and how that strained her muscles because she couldn't do that full extension. And so just trying to describe what that's like is you're on stage, you know, dancing your heart out, but having to pull back and, you know, what does that do to the psyche? And so that's where Marion really came from. I mean, I can't even like imagine. And like you said, it is, it is so precise. They are, they are notorious and known for their, what exactly they are. It's the line, it's the kick, it's the Thanksgiving day parade, it's the Christmas spectacular, it's all of these things. And, you know, you have to fit into this mold. Um, But I loved that she, you know, not only from like, her joining the um the Rockettes and the, that you know the whole thing with her dad, but also you know she joins in with Peter and they have to you know figure this out um because of the circumstances and so she was just definitely one of my most favorite characters of yours, and you brought her into was it ninety two what was the it was yeah, ninety four I think ninety four yeah, um I think so yeah and I loved that you had that whole spin of her older and where she was at and, you know, coming back and revisiting. Um, I, I just loved, I, yeah, I just loved her who was, and maybe it was Marion, but who was your favorite character to, to dive into? Ooh, that's a good one. I liked bunny a lot. That's her best friend. I did too. Yeah. Yeah. Cause she's kind of out there and getting herself into trouble. <laughs> you know, dating married men and a little, a little confused about the world. Um, but she's, she's a real steadfast friend and really stays by Marion's side through thick and thin. And yeah. And I love the idea of this older Marion. It's, you know, I I'm known for dual timelines, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but you know, with this one, I thought let's have this character looking back on her life and not, you know, just a few chapters where she's, she's commenting on what happened in the past and then let those two storylines kind of collide at the end. I thought that'd just be an interesting way to to do it as opposed to going back and forth, you know, every other chapter or something. I think it gives the reader just a more a linear feel to the story. Yeah, I love that because it was sort of like you teased us at the beginning of, okay, where are we going? You took us back for so many chapters and then, you know, you... We weren't sure where she left off, what was happening with Peter. And so then you, you know, you brought us to the present day, which I loved. And, you know, again, this felt, it felt like a film playing out in my mind. Like this would be the most perfect movie. I'm just saying, because I can see the costumes. I can see the glam. I see it all. (laughs) Right. Yeah, I agree. I couldn't agree more. We just need this writer's strike to get over with. So everybody can, you know, go back to work. Yeah. I know. I know. Um, Although I respect what they're doing. I think they should be striking. Let me just make that clear. Well, we wouldn't have anything without, I mean, they are the heart of all of this stuff. So it's like without them, there is nothing and they are entitled to every single thing. And I absolutely love seeing all the updates. Like if, you know, if you follow celebrities or whatever on social media that they're putting themselves out there too, saying like, well, no, like we're only as good as what is written for us. So it's like all the unity is incredible to see. Um, I, yeah, I don't want to give too much away. There's so much more I could say about this, but I don't, I don't want to spoil it, but I, it is, it, it, I mean, it's like the perfect beach read. It's the perfect beach read. It's the perfect everything. And also I have to say, I all of your covers are always so incredible. Is it the same person doing your covers? I feel like there is a little 
cohesiveness, but maybe not. Yeah. Yeah. Christopher Lynn, Christopher Lynn is the the head of the art department. He's the art director at Dutton, which is my publisher. And so from the very beginning, he's been in charge of, of creating the covers. And so that's lovely because they're each different because they are set in different eras, Mm -hmm. but they all feel familiar. So like the typeface might be right for the art deco feel of Radio City Music Hall, but then it still works with the other books and they're all very different. And this one I like, especially because you know, it's a kind of a powerful cover of the 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 marquee of Radio City. And there's no woman looking pensively backwards, which is typical for historical fiction. And I, yes. I like I like that it's more of like, boom, here it is. Yes, your books, yes, always have, I feel like women on them do, you, you know, which I love because they always are reminiscent of so many like vintage photos yes. and it reminds me of like Vogue. Um, but this is this is like the colors and all of it I love. Um, I was gonna say too, did you while you were writing this, were you able to go see like the current Rockettes perform? Yeah. Yeah. I caught, you know, these days they only perform at, at Christmas. So they perform from late November to January 1st. And they do about two to five shows a day. So it's really intense. So yeah, so I caught a, a Christmas spectacular and then I got a behind the scenes tour. Um, which was really, really great just to see all the- That is so cool. Yeah, yeah, that was great. Do you just like sit, do you you just reach out to them and you're like, I'm writing a book, like, could I get a tour? Or did you know someone? No, you know, normally I, that's what I do. um, But those were smaller venues, like the New York Public Library or the Frick. I I know the, you know, I can reach the communications person and, and kind of make my pitch and they've, they've been so, they were so generous, but this is different. Radio city is a big corporation, but they do do behind the stage, behind the scenes tours. So I just jumped on one of those. So that was perfectly fine. It was great. And you got to see like the stage. Yeah. Oh, they give them all the time. You could, you could, I think they do like a few a day. So anyone who wants to can go and get a great tour and go see all the locations in the book. Yeah. No, you could tell that you have like, you were there. Like you feel like you are sitting and I have, like I said, I have been there and it's incredible, but you could really feel that you had seen it. Like you feel like you're actually sitting in there or you're standing back on the stage with her. Like it just felt so immersive. Um, I was going to say something else. See, there's my brain has fireworks going on about this book. I, oh, I know what I was going to say. This is Semi, it's related to the book, but I love, and we're doing a shout out. So the book was dedicated to Greg Wands, Mm -hmm. who is part of and has been on, I Zoomed with him. And my first Zoom with him, I was instantly, I was like, I, he was my first male guest. (laughs) And I was like, he is so awesome. Um, But you dedicated this book to him, which I love. I opened it up and I was like, oh, you're like my, my literary like love like Romeo and Juliet like I just love it (laughs) yeah yeah oh it's wonderful and it's great living with another writer because they understand immediately you know when you're stuck you can kind of run something by them he's really great at helping me you know kind of brainstorm what needs to happen next and and he's working on not one but two books at the same time so it's a real inspiration to see his dedication and you know his work his work ethic is really incredible. And so we basically shame each other into working each day because, you know, it's like, all right, you're okay. All right. I'll go work too then. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I love, oh my God. I love it. I was going to say, 
he so he is part of E.G. Scott, which thriller yes. extraordinaire duo. And did you lean into him for like help with the like really intensifying the mystery piece of the spectacular? Yeah, it was helpful. It was helpful having read his his books and, yeah. and having heard he works with Liz Keen and his other half, his other literary half. And and, you know, I, I would hear them on the phone and kind of, you know, spitballing and, and that kind of thing. And so, yeah, that was really helpful to to kind of overhear their conversations and and, you know, be able to say to him, OK, I feel like I'm missing something here. What should I do and get his thoughts? So that was incredibly helpful. Absolutely. Yeah, I was going to say you ha- it's like having like a master chef of thrillers and you're able to tap into into those ingredients. I love that. That's a perfect way to put it. I'm going to tell him that. He's going to love tell that. Tell him. Tell him. Um, no, but I, I just love that. And and that and and it's just it is. I'm sure it is so incredible, but it is. It's so cool to to know like two amazing authors have come together. And it's just it's really I'm never going to get over it. I feel like I talked about <laughs> it the last time. I feel like I DM'd about like I'm like a super fan. Oh, we love you, too. It's right back at you. Um, okay. Can you, are you working on something new now? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm working on a book that's set at the Met Museum in New York. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's a lot there to play with and it's partly set in the 1930s, partly in the 1970s. Part of it's from the point of view of a, an assistant curator, um, who, uh, gets caught up in, in some stolen artifacts. And then another part of it is set with the Met Gala from the point yes. of view of an assistant who, who assists at the party of the year. And the two of them have to team up to figure out what happened. So they're two very different people. I, I like to say it's glamour and mummies. So we'll see how it goes. It's early stages. I'm already in. I'm in. Like I, You could be like, I'm writing about a cardboard box and I'm like, that sounds glamorous <laughs> to me. I am into that. I like... Yeah. Yeah. Greg and I just, um, we just did a trip to Egypt actually as part of the research. So I, I brought him along. That. Yeah. It was really fun. That is incredible. I mean, you give us not only the gift of your writing, but you really do take people places. And like I said, you're just bringing awareness to things that are so cool and you're, you're making them feel like they're brand new. And I just love that because, you know, I think, I always think about history growing up and I was like, Ugh, uh. and now as I'm older, I'm like, I really miss the the mark on that. And so reading about these things older, you know, you're so much more appreciative and like you're making it cool and fun. So it's like you want to, you know, Google these things and figure out what, what this is all about or go to these places. Um, yeah, which I just, yeah, which I, I just agree. Love. I think, I think they should teach, you know, it'd be great if they taught historical fiction in history classes, because, you know, at the end of every book, I make sure it's very clear what's fake and what I made up and then what's based on real fact and what those facts are. And I think that's, that would be a great way for students to feel like they time travel without, you know, just reciting facts, which is not fun at all. Yeah. And I think historical fiction just feels more um, like what's the word I'm thinking of? It just is easier to digest than just reading because you can like picture the characters. And I think it just is more of like, Ooh, did that really happen? Did that not happen? And, you know, reading a history book, it is, it's just straight facts and you're doing it to memorize, you know, for like an exam, whereas like, this is fun. So I agree. I think they should, there are so many amazing historical fiction books. Um, And it's funny because when, and I've always been a reader, but if you asked me like in my twenties, like, Ooh, I'd be like, "Uh uh-uh, no way, no way. And it only took, you know, 
just a handful of books, yours included, where I was like, wait, this is so good. Like, this is really giving me all the things I need. Um, so I wish, and I that's what I try to do with anyone that I have on that's a historical fiction writer. I'm like, I need to keep shouting about this because I just think people don't know. And, you know, I think they don't, you know, it has a huge following, but I think the people who aren't part of that group just don't realize. And then it just takes that one book that you're like, oh my gosh, this is like incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. 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 I agree. I love reading it. I love it reading it too. Okay. We're going to do, since you had the old chic list, now we have a new one. So I'm curious to see what you have to say. Okay. Here we go. Mm-hmm. The author that inspired or inspires you the most and why? I think it would have to be Geraldine Brooks because mm-hmm. she was a journalist and then she became an author. And I love all of her books, People of the Book, Horse. She just does so much research. She really throws herself into the research. And then when she writes the book, it just comes out so seamlessly in the characters and the plot. And so it's just a, a lesson in writing historical fiction whenever I read her. I love that. Um Current TV binge series. I am loving Smartless on the road because I love the Smartless podcast. I do too. I have not watched the show yet. I'm excited to, but I love the podcast. It's very, it's just as funny as the podcast. The show's great. I'm sure. They are like the perfect trio. It's like, (laughs) I just listened, which one did I just listen to? The Ben Affleck one. Um, And Sean Hayes is so good. Like, I don't know. He, I mean, I loved him on Will and Grace, but like, he just seems like Will. I mean, he seems like Jack in real life yeah. and he has his little like comments and stuff. So I love yeah. that. Um, last favorite book and current read. I'm currently reading Trust by Hernan Diaz that just won the Pulitzer Prize. And that's wonderful historical fiction. I'm I, I'm just in the early days of it, but I'm so curious to see where he's going. And it's beautiful writing, just drop dead, gorgeous phrase, phrases. Um, and then the, the, my recent favorite was a book called the violin conspiracy by Brendan Slocum. Oh, it's so good. Like it's, it's exactly what we're talking about. It's a great mystery. It's got a bit of a thriller feel to it. And then it's this really original take of this black classical musician when his violin goes missing and what he has to do to get it back. It's really, I want to see that movie. Okay. Oh, good. I'm so, I trust everything you say. Um, Sand or snow? Sand. I like warm weather for sure. Me too. Me too. Coffee or tea order? I gave up caffeine, so it would probably be an herbal tea, like a berry-ish herbal mm. tea. I like something like that. Yeah. Oh, that's lovely. Um, favorite bookstagram account? There's an author named Annabelle Monahan who her first book was Nora Goes Off Script. And her next one is same time next summer. That is just coming out, I think, in a week or two. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's just hilarious. And so you read her Instagram feed and, you know, authors like we have to get on there and be like, oh, I hope you'll buy my book. And, you know, yeah. I'll be showing I'll be doing a book talk here and I hope you'll come. And she just does a marvelous, funny take on whatever it is she has to get out there. And so she's just my inspiration. I think she's hilarious. I Yeah, she is really funny. I I got to she was on the podcast um, for, um, her first book and then she's coming back on, but she was so funny and like quirky and I just loved her. She was great. I'm excited to read that book too. Same time. Next summer. Yes. Um, 
Name an author you'd love to have coffee or a cocktail with. Or I think Adriana, Adriana Trigiani for sure. I mean, she's just effervescent and she knows everything and she knows everybody. And just to, just to hear her talk, I think would be marvelous. So yeah, I'd say her for sure. She, yeah, I felt like I went through like a masterclass in life, in culture, in reading. Like I left and I was like, she is incredible. Like she just, it was like a TED talk. It was like she, and she's like preaching to me. And I was like, keep telling, I'm like, I need you to keep coming back and like telling me all this stuff. I agree. <laughs> she would be really, she is so fun. So fun. Yeah. And she's really generous. She's generous with other authors. She's generous yeah. with readers. It's just someone who I really look up to. Yeah. And she just, exactly what you see is exactly what she is. And she's so genuine. Like, it's not just her putting this on for people. And I don't, I've never met her like in real life, but I'm like, this is who I thought she would be. And like, she definitely, you know, she was like yelling when we were doing the interview. Cause she said her office was like on the first floor and the windows were open. And she was like, Oh, Bob, Bob, all the people probably, she probably knows everybody in her neighborhood. <laughs> yes. Um, oh who is your style icon? I would say Helen Mirren. Oh, that's a good one. Right. She's so classy. I just saw a picture of her. She comes to mind because I saw a picture of her two days ago, something she wore to some, you know, con or some kind of fancy thing. And she just, she always looks amazing yet without yeah. trying too hard. Yeah. She's very like effortless. I agree. Mm -hmm. She, and she's just like aging so gracefully and beautifully. Um, book you wish they made a movie out of. Ooh, I, you know, I would say lessons in chemistry, but they, mm. they already have. So that's coming out, I think in October, Yeah, which I can't wait for, but I would love to see like Geraldine Brooks horse would be in a, a great movie. It would be just this epic, incredible movie. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited for lessons in chemistry. Um, it looks great. Um, okay. And last best advice for an aspiring writer or reader. I would say you know, don't be afraid to write a really bad first draft because if you give yourself the permission to do that, you get the draft done. And that's the whole key to get through an entire book and try and make all the, you know, everything kind of tie up the way you want it to, unless you've gone from A to Z, you can't, you can't go forward. And so just get through that first draft fast, and then you can start playing with it. I love to edit. And so once I've got that draft down, I'm more than happy to spend time and really make, you know, each paragraph or sentence work. But until then, I, I just slog through and that's yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, okay, so The Spectacular comes out on the 13th, but if you're a Book of the Month member, you can get it early, which is amazing. And this is like the perfect pick for Book of the Month, perfect pick for the beach. Like it is... I'm saying perfect pick of the beat for the beach because it doesn't fall like in a normal beach read category, but it literally checks off all the boxes. So it really does fall into the beach read category. My publishers would love hearing you say that. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. I'm putting that. I will put that underneath. I'm going to tell Kathleen too. She can use, I'll yeah. do a quote, um, but tell everybody where they can follow you on Instagram too. Sure. I'm Fiona Davis author on Instagram and Facebook and then Fiona Davis books.com. Um, online. That's my website. Yes. And everyone should follow you. And honestly, I like, you're just, 
you're it for me. I will buy everything you write. I love everything about you. Like I just, people need to leave this podcast and be buying everything you wrote. So I'm so thankful that you take the time to come and chat with me. Um, And I am just so thankful. So thank you. Oh, and right back at you. Thank you for everything and your support from the very beginning. I It's so appreciated. And yeah, this was the highlight of my day. So thank you. Oh. Me too. And thank you everyone for tuning in.